0: All right, uh, let's do this one more time. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. My name is Miles Morales. I was bitten by radioactive spider. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. You're listening to the number one podcast and education across the Spider-Verse, Steambox.
1: Are those my Jordans? Hey, this is Roberto. You're back with another SteamBots podcast. This is a special episode. I do not have my students with me. I thought it was important that we did a follow-up to a recent event, Truth, Data, Equity. We had the community talking about a number of things. And before we do that, I want to introduce you to the people that we have in the room right now. Ramona, Peter, Jessica, and SteamBots. Please say what's up to the world. What? No. Thank you for waking up for that, Ramona. Uh,
2: That'll be a little... There was a delay.
1: There... About? Yes. For people, for people who don't know, uh is my arch nemesis. You might think that it's Angelo Garcia for all the bullshit hijinks that he puts in to the Central Falls community and all kind of scumbaggery. Uh you might think it's Arnell Milhouse from the POC Foundation, but no, it's Ramona. Ramona is,
2: it is my honor. And it it's a true honor of my
1: Ramona. Can you tell uh can you tell our audience about before we uh, follow up on Truth Data Equity?
2: Also, so BLEE is, is Parent Leadings for Educational Equity, BLEE for a shoulder name, and we are a, a parent grassroots organization. really supporting parents of color to advocate, to learn, uh, you know, about their rights, uh, how the system, the education system work, and how they can become better advocates for their own child, but also for the community, and we, you know, I'm a parent first and foremost, and it's just, you know, a lot of work, but we know, we know it needs to be done.
1: Can I ask you a serious question, Ramona? Yes, sir. Uh, a lot of people seem to think that you have access to dark money, <laughs> that you're corporate, uh, and um, yeah, and I'll run by the man. Yeah. Uh, I see uh, I see a Latina woman before me, uh, nerd, aim of thrones nerd and all that stuff, uh, why do people think that you you have a shadow organization run by dark money? Why is that a thing? That's a real thing that you, I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. A, oh, yeah. And people think that you are... A people, dirty lobbyist. A dirty lobbyist. Yeah, <laughs> so, I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Why is why is plea a shadow organization with
0: dark money?
2: So I think that came about for two reasons. One is because we have opposed a, a charter moratorium. So anything that is associated with charter schools, people seem to think that you are the devil or you want to destroy public education. And it is more complex than that. Uh, You know, that if you are someone who believes that parents have the right to choose where to send your child, especially if you are a parent of color, who's like, everybody knows the public education system, unfortunately, doesn't educate black and brown kids. So like, I get it. So I am not going to be the person who's going to tell the parent, you have to, sacrificing child to a public education system where really accountability for everyone doesn't exist. So it came from that. We opposed that charter moratorium. I think it was 2020, where the General Assembly was trying to do that. And we opposed that. So, you know, all of a sudden we have, you know, dark money. We are dark money. Uh, And then, you know, it it also, uh, when schools closed, when the pandemic started, we were not, PE was not the only organization who advocated for a comprehensive or, I guess, like, not a not one-size-fits-all approach, where we said some kids need to be in schools, some kids need to be online, so schools really need to figure out how to, how to do that. So we didn't say close schools dying. That's not what we said. And then, you know, some people took it took, took it, you know, personal. And I understand, you know, the pandemic, we really didn't know a lot about the pandemic. People were afraid. Uh, but yeah, people, some people, some internet war- warriors and Twitter warriors have gone with that and yeah, seem to be over-obsessing over-
1: If I'm addressing the dark money briefly, I will say that, uh, we're, we, I'd like to take a photo to post with, uh, this podcast, but I will say that you're wearing the same sweatpants that I have from Arrive. Oh, yeah. Another <laughs> community wearing <laughs> Shop- by Shonda, uh, so shout out to Shonda yes. and yeah, with your dark money.
2: Some no, no, oh yes. Listen, um, yeah, and I had and our nine ninety, which is that the tax document that all of no profits have to file is online. So people can go and see our budget. Yeah. It's definitely not in the millions. <laughs> I wish. Not even close to be half a million dollars. So like what are we talking? where's the deadline?
1: I am happy for what you've actually done uh with the organization, having seen it kind of from the beginning. I think it's exciting to follow People should go online and learn more Absolutely. about you.
0: Where should they go? p
2: l e e r i .dot org. org, And, you know, we have, uh we're taking a break over the summer, but in the fall, we're launching our fall programming, parent meetings, you know, parent leadership academies, just, you know, getting parents to know how they can advocate. Mm-hmm.
1: It must be nice to have dark money where you could take a break over the summer. <laughs> uh am all the way, baby. Peter Chum is back with us. Uh, Peter's joined us recently. Peter's from Young Voices. Can you give us a quick, for anybody who might not have heard it, uh, help people understand why I brought Young Voices into a discussion about youth voice in the class.
0: Uh, Welcome everybody, Uh, you know, glad to be here. So Young Voices, I think uh, to be simple, elevate youth voice. That's our tagline, our idea, our concept, our philosophy is that if we're gonna be talking about decisions that impact young people, Uh, They need to have a seat at the table. They need to have a voice. They need to have voting rights, right? And so uh, for us, it's about working with young people, meeting them where they're at, um, helping, you know, supporting them through through their journey through high school. Uh, And if we're able to change systems, awesome. But at the end of the day, how do we develop uh, young folks to be able to see, you know, Uh, or envision themselves having post-secondary success, whether that's in the career field directly, or whether that's going through the college pathway, or whether that's going through trade school, whatever that may be. Um, You know, for us, it's about working with young people and making sure that they have a plan. Go to this dude's website, see the adventures, because some of that stuff is dope. What is the website?
1: Uh, Just youngvoicesri.org. Youngvoicesri.org. Uh, I cut Peter off a second ago, but who I really cut off was Jessica Vega, the first time that we did this. We did a community conversation, we recorded it, it was a podcast, Truth, Data, Equity, and we were talking specifically about youth voice. And the moment that I turned to Jessica uh, to share some of her thoughts, we got pulled for time, which was really, really sad to me because I know that you do have a lot of thoughts. I know that you participated and that word I'm using uh, very strongly for reasons that you'll find out in a moment. But Jessica, real quick, can you help people understand how you got involved with this process? You were the data in Truth Data Equity, right?
3: Yes. So I'm a senior policy analyst with Rhode Island Kids Count. Our mission, we're a nonprofit organization. Our mission is to support the children of Rhode Island, whether that's education, economic well-being, health, by eliminating harmful disparities and so, we put out a lot of data. And what I like to think is we have the privilege of backing up the stories, the real stories that our families are experiencing. So, when families are saying, hey, my child isn't getting the equitable education that a child in Barrington is getting, we're able to say, here's the data to prove like this has actually happened.
1: Can you, you, you said that with some passion, you put some oomph on that. You have examples in your head. Is there something that the data pointed to that the data told you a story? of some kind of injustice. Is there an example that you can share with us?
3: Oh, there's a lot of injustice. So there are black and brown kids who get suspended um, at higher rates than white children. Um, the educational outcomes for Native American children is disgusting. Um, when you think about lead poisoning and who's getting lead poisoning in our communities, is the highest is Central Falls, Providence, One Socket. Any social determinants of health, so when it comes to housing, education, economic well-being, um, the kids who are being hurt the most, impacted the most, are Black and brown students, or Black and brown children in Rhode Island.
1: Rhode Island Kids Count. Where can people find out more about your work?
3: So, RhodeIslandKidsCount.org, we have tons of publication that are community-centered. So when we put out data, we're not just putting out data, we're, we're building coalitions, we're working with nonprofits like the like Young Voices, um, to support their work and to also support young people getting out to the State House and becoming, um, empowering them and letting them know that state representatives and senators, they work for them. They're there to support them and set policies that are supposed to support their education and their um, economic well-being and, and their families in, in order to thrive.
1: When I think of dirty lobbyists, I think of people who go to the politicians who be like, you like guns now, here's the tech. <laughs> For five hundred thousand yeah. dollars. But you're actually showing up with children, right? And being like, we want to address this problem. So you're a dirty lobbyist. Same as the people who want kids to smoke cigarettes.
3: I've been called much worse than a dirty lobbyist, so I'm okay with that. It's all about, you know, creating good trouble. So I I'm fine for with whatever people want to call me. Um, but at the end of the day, we have receipts and the work speaks for itself.
1: I did you dirty. You deserve, uh, you have a story to tell about the work that you did in central falls. One of the things that people addressed was more student ownership around budget. Now this is something that you've actually done. And this is something that I really wish that we had an opportunity to open the floor to, uh, last time we spoke at the data truth equity event. So now that I've got you here and nobody's going to stop us for time, I'd love for you to tell us about that work that you were doing so that we can finally share that.
3: Yeah. So participatory budgeting or PB is a process where the community and in and, and this instant, it was the youth in Central Falls, had the opportunity to decide how the money was going to be spent. So they worked directly with the young people in their schools. They um, created committees based on different themes that they heard. So whether that was health and wellness, um, improving school equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And we actually had the first trilingual ballot in the state of Rhode Island, where it was Spanish, English, and um, Portuguese, because we wanted to make sure that we were really inclusive. But PB wasn't just about, you know, putting things on a ballot and voting on it, but we actually had real conversations with young people. It was a a class, um, or is a class, because it continues to this day. And we had conversations with young people about how does institutional racism look like feel like in the community right because you can't challenge something that you can't name um we expose them to different community leaders and one of the most impactful stories that i remember was having a young person we had dr fine shout out to dr fine who's amazing um talk about lead poisoning in our community and how that causes um educational disabilities Mm -hmm. um and one of the students realized like oh cf has one of the highest rate of lead poisoning in kids And then putting two to two together, like we also don't, a a lot of our students or the young people in CF are also struggling. So she was able to put that together and see how like these patterns or these systems all work together and are really harming our our young people. So, So long story short, participatory budgeting is a way to create transparency, exposure, to empower young people to utilize their voice and for them to decide how to best use that money. And to give you an example of why they, they decided the bylaws, so who was gonna vote, when the vote was gonna take place, how it was gonna look like, they decided that teachers and uh, parents were not allowed to be part of the voting process. And we had young people speak to approve of um, parents who were there for like a coffee hour at the school. And we were talking about, the young people were talking about how they wanted to improve the bathrooms in, in CF because for a long time, the mirrors were tinfoil. And you know we don't have any privacy, and the faucets are not working. And one of the parents was like, "Why do they need numeras? They spend enough time in the bathroom. They should be focused in school." And I'm just like, "Get rid of non." If a young person so telling know. you, "My people, parents," you know but they sometimes our parents forget that they were teenagers. They're not getting with the times. There's also that cultural or generation That's difference, right? Wonderful. But if a young person is telling you, "This is what I need in order for me to come to school to feel comfortable," then why not accommodate them and listen to their needs? And fun fact, that was the winning um project, and we had over 400 students in Central Falls High School. The bathroom is relevant
1: now. So. I, I, have, uh, I have so many follow-ups, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you in a minute. I just want you to, ha- I want you to have a head start on this. I'm going to ask you what you heard during that session that really jumped out at you. And then uh, Peter can jump in with some thoughts on this. Uh, a couple of follow-ups, two of them, in fact. The first one is my experience in working with Central Falls is that it's mostly a homogenous community. So what I find is that my students in other communities are far more aware of the racism that they encounter every day because there's white children there who don't look like them who get treated much, much better. And they can see it and they feel it. Whereas in Central Falls, there's far less of a push to get rid of police and all this stuff. By the way, I mean, also, as much as I, I don't love the police stuff. Um, your chief is doing some he's doing some good stuff Easy. yeah he's doing some good stuff i Anthony Roberson shout out to Anthony Roberson yeah uh I need to give a policeman props <laughs> uh, but that's th- what
3: happens when you have a policeman from the community even though he's not from CF but grew up in Robbins, um who just he's a black man so he understands the community and has a different relationship with the community that others just don't because they don't get it
1: they do have. They Another thing that's interesting about that homogenous community and that school is led by, I know the principal just won some great awards and I do, I really like this guy. Their, that school is led by David Ubegi. Like David Ubegi is the heart amongst the teachers in that school. And I say it every single time he is this, the, the Jaime Escalante from Stand and Deliver to me. He is that. He's amazing. He's that legend. Yeah. But they have a white superintendent and they have a white principal and the leadership is occupied by white people. Uh, just like we're saying that youth should have some vote and an agency. Shouldn't the homogenous community also have some agency over the leadership of the school when it's led by a white principal and a white superintendent? Again, it, he he seems great. He's getting awards. I really like this guy. But is that kind of is does that stick out to you from all of your time there?
3: It, it does. But it's not surprising when you look at the data and who's running schools, and it's more than 90% of um, teachers are white, administrators are white. So until we start chipping away at that, I know we're gonna talk about that later down the line, but until we start chipping away at that and actually have candidates and support those candidates, my candidates, I mean, educators of color, we? until we support them and retain them, we're gonna to continue to have the same problem.
1: And I don't want David Obegui to be the principal. He's like the perfect teacher, let the perfect teacher be a teacher, so uh, I'm going to come back to you, but and I'm going to come back to you for the same question that I have for Ramona, but follow up on um, PB. I always think of peanut butter. Uh, follow up on, on pod or it, uh, participatory budget. Follow up on participatory budgeting. How, how does that work? It seems like one of those things that other schools, even if they wanted it, wouldn't be able to do. How were you able to do it?
3: You had, first of all, a shout out to Central Falls because we have great leaders there. And when Mayor Diosa he helped um, fundraise for us. So we were able to get the $10,000 through like private donation. And then the school was able to stipend Pam Jennings, who's an amazing human and leader of PB to kick off that class. And since this is going to be going to enter its fourth iteration in January. So it's been embedded now in the Central Fall schools. Is she on staff there? Yes, she's on, like contracted. Yep. But she's not year round. She's just supporting. However, we intentionally wanted to start this, but have a teacher take over. So now Manny, who's a teacher, an English teacher there in CF, he has taken the class over. Okay. Because the whole point of this is like, I'm all about sharing power. I, you know, community development one on one. You just don't come in into the community and do stuff for them, and then leave when the grant is over. You want to make sure that you're teaching someone how to continue with this process. So now, you know, the teacher in Central Falls is able to take over and continue the work.
1: For our audience, uh, a quick tidbit about how I got that conversation going in that room. I wanted people, I wanted to hear people's goals when it came to Young uh, Voices. I had a student with me so he could talk about his experience and what his goals are and we'll be happy to repeat and share some of those. They are on the other podcast. So what were some of the things that you heard in that group that sounded like some goals that appeal to you?
2: Well, I think thinking particularly about one that we, the Plea has worked on in collaboration with like Young Voices and Kids Count, it was legislation that was introduced to have the young, the, the youth sitting in the Council of Elementary and Secondary Education become like a voting member. So right now, uh, that young person who sits there who is the chair of the Youth Advisory Council um, is, is a non voting member, right? So when we really think about giving students a voice, um, a consequential voice or decision-making power, um, 100 fully, I personally, as a parent, but also leading the organization, support making that student a voting, a voting student. Um, you know, at the end of the day, nobody pays a higher price for the failings of, it, of the education system than the student, like nobody. Like me as a parent, obviously as parents, we suffer when our kids, you know, don't get what they need. But ultimately it's that young person who's going to carry that trauma, that, you know, negligence of the education system. So how the heck can you make in decisions and then leaving out uh, the one person re- who really pay the higher price? Or the biggest benefit so like to me it's just adultism you know not thinking that young people can think for themselves or it, you know supporting obviously creating uh structures to support your people to navigate like those structures is important but um i heard that very keenly.
1: i heard that and i heard it it seemed to be a recurring theme because people said it in different ways whether it was the project-based work uh which keith talked about i think whether it's that, people talked about it on different levels of committees. Yes. So that was the repeated thing that people definitely want more of. And this was only one young person in the room. Everybody else was adults saying that the students, and I know two things, right? So I'm going to ask you for a goal in a second. I know two things, Ramona, about this. I know that the adults are currently running the show. Yeah. It sucks. The show sucks.
2: And those are always the...
1: It doesn't work. The last group of adults didn't work. My dad was on the school board, and when we have these conversations, he's like, it's the same uphill battle, and it hasn't gotten better. It's not uh, the worst. So why not change the channel? So why not let the students do the whole thing? Give them the school board. Why not? So, I'm- it's not going to get worse. It's literally not going to get worse. Peter, what would you think would be, on behalf of your students, on behalf of Young Voices, What could? what's something that you see that would be A good, healthy goal. Something realistic for this
0: year. Something that we could do this year. Anecdotally, if you look at like being civically engaged, you know, you begin to look at like why young people are not being civically engaged, right? And it's because you strip them of the ability to begin practicing and engaging at a very young age, right? And there's so many different ways to engage young people where they become self-aware and conscious and, and... a part of that community and so you know when we look at all the way up to like just just actually voting right like the voting age and so forth if you look at the current voting uh demographics old people vote the most (laughs) and they're like we're gonna vote because we know young people are not gonna vote right and and so the ability to begin practicing with young people to understand consequences to un right you gotta start somewhere and so yeah to you know, to the point of having uh you know a per, a young person being able to to vote that, right? and so um you know, when you talk about consensus when you talk about the ability to understand far too often, like as adults we assume right and and so we manipulate we, right. we make all of these things, we tokenize them people right you know, even with the with the uh, the council, that's one vote why wow. what eleven members or so and' so there's so many ways the vote can go, right? Uh, and that young person's vote may make a difference, hard possible, but also may not even make a difference. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, when I say the goal, I think, uh, when we think of education and so forth, like, you know, learning, how do we create lifelong learning? That's it. Yeah, I think kind of, yeah. You, you know, we... we we come in with different, like, you know, whether it's technology, curriculum, whatsoever, and those things keep changing. But at the end of the day, it's like, how are we getting young people to, you know, build the curiosity and continue that momentum post fourth grade? Because I think, I you know, if you look at children, they all want to learn. They want to learn something new whatsoever. And the disengagement, and, and this is just my own personal opinion, is that, you know, after third grade, you begin to see that curiosity diminish over time. Hold on, Jessica, Do is there anything, have you seen anything that supports
1: a, dr- a learning drop-off at a certain
3: age? Yeah, so if you look at the RICAS score, and it's the Rhode Island, uh, so, don't, okay, so yeah, it measures...
1: Coalition a- of asshats involved... <laughs> and men were terrorist.
3: So how did these two look? <laughs> but anyways, the right hands, Um the, the third graders actually score better than the eighth grader. The, the test scores go down both in English and in math, um, which is really unfortunate.
1: Are we talking about on the same material they score better, or are we talking about th- on third grade stuff the score better than eighth graders do on eighth grades?
3: No. So obviously it gets a little harder. The older you get on yeah. material gets harder, but you know, the eighth graders are not, performing at the level that they should by that
1: age right so there does seem to be a drop-off to support what you were saying
0: yeah i mean and so for me it's just like stop like you know what's it the the education jogging let's just go back to like how do we create lifelong learning build that curiosity because a lot of times kids want to learn um you know it's it's all of the other things that come that take away the learning I, I threw everything out the window uh, during the pandemic
1: when I saw students that were hurting, uh, after the lockdown was over and they had all the violence in Providence and uh, students were numb to it. And then when we actually had them stop and talk about their feelings, all of a sudden these people who wouldn't think about the violence that they witnessed start crying, right? Like with, with therapists in our program. I, that moment made me say, well, why the, why the hell do we need geometry, right? I understand that some of us might for our path, no. And Jessica, uh, how often did you use geometry? Never. No, Jessica's never used geometry. Uh, Jessica's never. She doesn't even know who Pythagorean is.
3: You I do
1: So, I need students to be well. But not only that, during the political time, which was around the same time, yeah. everything was politicized, right? I have yeah. I have students who were talking about well, COVID came from 5G networks. 5G was new networks at the time. Now, I talk to students, that's why I'm targeting students, but I know damn well that I, there are more adults saying that done shit right. than students. This isn't like students are dumb because they're dumb. <laughs> this is like some people are lacking critical thinking skills. I need them to have critical thinking skills like you're talking about, not necessarily context specific, even to the RICAST scores, right? Even to the scores, like I don't even give a shit. If somebody's happy and they know their path and I could help them with that, then that's something that I'm happy with. What stuck out with you? Because uh, there were a couple things that stuck out with me right after we stopped recording. What stuck out to you during that during that discussion?
3: Uh, well, two quick things that stood out to me was the idea of making schools more flexible. So to Ramona's point, of, you know, transportation would be a nightmare. Thinking about like, how do we maybe regionalize schools? How do we bring more programs in the schools that are existing? So That kid who goes to CF can maybe do a program in Pawtucket or a neighboring city uh, but support those communities that need it the most. Um, So making school more flexible. So you mentioned, Roberto, how like you kind of threw everything out the door and thought about a creative way to engage your students during COVID. Well, we need to do that now. How do we engage students in a way that's meaningful? So whether that's online work, whether that's weekend, whether that's starting school at a later time so that transportation students are not waking up at five o'clock in the morning. To get ready to be on the bus by seven o'clock in the morning. So, how do we become more flexible so students could go to school hour a week and are ready to learn? And then the second thing that stood out to me, um, and I think the adults in the room need to hold themselves accountable to that, is there was a a lot of excitement about creating student advisories, committees where they could come together and express their concerns to the school board of uh, the school board committees, which is great. But I think the problem when it comes to adults is that. You know, we all, we obviously we were kids to grow up, but we don't trust young people. Huh. Um, we forget to trust the young people in the room. So it's like, what's the point of being an adult and having all this knowledge if you're not gonna trust the, the, the generation that you're right. trying to influence right. to actually do something with that power?
0: Right. You know, one of the biggest flaws that I think that came out of like the pandemic when we look at education was like, all of a sudden there was this pivot, right? And everyone's like social emotional learning, uh-huh. SEL, mm-hmm. uh, their mental health and so forth. And maybe it's unpopular opinion, but like, if you really want to focus on SEL, then something's going to take the back burn, right? And in this case, the academics to take and the back. Geometry, fuck it, right? And so like, but, but people were like, you know, it, when I was thinking about like when they were coming out with all of these things, my whole, the first thing that came to mind was just like, well, that's awesome, right? But we cannot throw in the wrench of like, oh, achievement gap. And that's literally, if you look, if you, you're right, if you look at it, all, it went from like SEL, SEL, blah, 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 all of it. The, but then all of a sudden, school became like going back into in-person, blah, blah, blah. The first thing that come out of people's mouth is like academic gap. Learning. Eh, it's a learning loss, right? And then, And then they're like, you know, they're saying like, oh, you know, You've been, you know, we've been uh, isolated for so long, blah blah. blah. We need to catch up, and then the the whole idea of learning loss, like, is also just absurd, right? Yeah, there was academic learning loss, absolutely. You can't <laughs> lose what you didn't have, but but kid, know but but to an to an extent. So like, say, you know, going on the whole thing, like, okay, they, you know, they would have learned this if they were in school, but the idea that there was no learning happening, people learn to survive, like, yeah, that is- like that is a that <laughs> you know. Surviving a pandemic is a life skill, right? And so people learn differently, yeah. right? Like, and if you, you know, just look at all of the, uh, all of the amazing, adaptable things that happened, right? Like, you know, not the, not the school or anything, but like kids being innovative in terms of like, for better or for worse, right? How they messed up the zoo system, whether they were going to show up to class or not, they figured out a way to to play the system, right? Or folks that were like, I need Wi Fi. I am going to figure out a way to go and get a different feed. Right. So, like, the, you know, being able to adapt to all of those things. And so, for us to say, to sit here and say, well, there's a lot of learning loss is just absurd. I think that's, you know.
2: So, let me, let me, let me jump in there from a parent perspective, because I think that for us parents, and parents can be very toxic. We, we yeah. are sometimes can be very toxic and very rigid in the learning
1: and the academic thing you right? toxic don't blame um uh, <laughs> please put human out of your no-no <laughs> well just because you squeezed a human out of your private art is not an excuse for you to be toxic, toxic.
2: uh okay i will own my toxicness if that is a word but i'll say this right like i think that one uh Maybe we don't call it learning loss. Maybe that's not the right word, but I know that for some of our families who, like, were not able to support their children with the technology piece, folks who really don't know. So something happened there where kids were not able to gain some academic content, right? That happened. That was very real for some of our kids. We, in education, we say a lot of words. That, and we don't, and we don't really do the work that those words mean. Like SEL, people throw in education SEL in schools SEL, but when you look at what they are actually doing about SEL, it's just there is no fidelity in implementation. The same thing with like started justice, like there is no fidelity. But people throw out education, but you know, what is it? Right. To say, oh, we're doing all of these things, but but right, we're, you're not doing it. The reality is that. The learning cannot happen if you are not well so if you are struggling with your mental health okay. if you are the whatever the case may be if, if those needs are not met you're just gonna be sitting in a in a in a chair in a classroom and just gonna be there like space i i can imagine how, how some of our kids might be spaced out just sitting there because you
1: are not well ramona i feel like i'm living in the twilight zone because either either people uh either some people managed to avoid actual human loss during the pandemic and some people were lucky and avoided actual human loss others were not so lucky and had human loss yeah and seem to have forgotten right or are numb to it just like the skin to violent. It's, it's, like. it's almost a survival mechanism it's just it's not for not. this is really horrible stuff either the ignorance or the not the, either the ignorance to it happening or the ignorance to you losing your own people yeah. is a significant thing and that's when I say I don't do a shit about geometry now Wait, right? if, if you have a kid if you send your daughter to Steambox and she wants to learn geometry for her career path we're gonna help her Absolutely. we're gonna push her now for the students who are not so interested in that it's so important that Absolutely. I just need to know that you're gonna be you want to come to How? school you're happy enough this is an aside, and forgive me for this for one moment. You and I had a, a private conversation mm-hmm. recently, and we were talking about artificial intelligence. And do you remember I, saw, I said, hey, check out these tools. This is really interesting. You can do this and that. Have you used any of these? So
3: I love AI to just help like formulate my thoughts, because sometimes I have a hard time just putting like words on paper, but I know
1: what I want to do. Going into that conversation you said you were unfamiliar with any of the AI tools. Yeah, I'm very basic. We just had a a short conversation about AI. And after that conversation, would you agree that you're using these AI tools more than you used anything that you learned in geometry class?
3: Oh, absolutely. I don't remember geometry. And, And I think it's important to expose kids to different materials, but yeah, I also think it's important to ask kids what they're interested in very early on to make sure that we're tailoring their education. But I do believe technology is just a new wave, and
1: we have to be on board with it. When when uh, when our teachers said that we're not always going to have a calculator in our pocket, now we have a, a robot in our pocket right. that can that can do all of the stuff that you and I were going to the library on. What do oh. they call it? Microfiche or whatever? Right. Like looking at looking at like actual film. First time I had that in <laughs> the red redwoods on the calculator. I mean, give <laughs> lost. Peter's right. I did write boobies. I definitely wrote boobies on the calculator. I'm that a-hole, no doubt. Um, But we're talking about something tangible that you and I just talked about a little bit that you're actually putting into application. I know that I did, and I know that it's my grant writer now and so many other things, tools for Steambox. And we seem to be walking away. We seem to not want this. So anyway, I just want to point that out as we're talking about academic subjects. Yeah that like they're archaic. The stuff that we're teaching in the schools are archaic and many people aren't gonna use them. Some people might wanna be a doctor, some people might wanna have, there's so much great stuff happening in some science classes, not others, but in some specific science classes that's really empowering students to be critical thinkers. But that's not usually the case. And if a student needs it, I hope that we can get them the right space. But my point is that shit is archaic and we need to move on. But you talked about something else specifically and we all kind of have now actually we all have now we've all talked about something that those of us who were in the room heard from in different forms that students need to be participants in governance yeah right yeah so if we're talking about actually coming up with goals what level of governance and i'll do the math later i'll figure out later how that actually works but are we talking about every single school should have a school committee every single school at middle school plus high school plus Where's the line? What makes the most sense?
2: So so right now we have by legislation we have school improvement teams, which is this place where students by law, by state law, students should serve there. And parents also, right? So you should have parents, students, teachers, school building uh, school administrators. So there is a place and in that in that space students, you know, are supposed to or members can review and improve budgets. They can recommend Hiring or firing staff. They can look at recommend curriculum. Like, they, you can do a lot of things, influence. It is not perfect, but it's a space that, by legislation, state law is created. And every single school, even though I public school, traditional public school, and my understanding is that charter school as well, by law, has to have one. So you already have a place created. It's not perfect, okay but the students have to be there, and there is some influence and power. An understanding of how the school operates, where students can sit, it should be by those sitting.
1: Is there an amendment? Is there one thing that you could add to that to that mandate? Is there one thing that you could add to that mandate? One line or something to make some adjustment that would give the students even more power on the city?
2: I think is is the ability to not just recommend because a lot of the consequential kid deals like hiring and firing and stuff and actually like approving curriculum and things like that are recommendations to the principal. So, you know, recommendations will go as far as the person who makes decisions wants them. So I would say...
1: uh, I've also seen repercussions in schools for students speaking out. So that's an interesting thing, because here comes a student saying, "Uh, oh, I have power? Cool. We should get rid of this teacher who calls us the Uh N-word. And we know that's not going to happen. And then that student is actually going to face more jeopardy yeah. than the teacher who's actually actively harming mm-hmm. the student. Peter, if there was one thing that you could do to change this, because, so here's the thing that exists, and yet the entire community says we need more student governance. So if it exists, is there one thing we could do to change the SIT
0: teams in the schools? SIT stands for? The school improvement team. There's a lot of back and forth. I think execution is the one thing that we need to change, yeah. right? And we need to put it into practice. And I think you no. Know, That's the missing piece because like, you know, hearing the other people talk, they're like, well, I'm sitting at the table. I hear all of these things. We leave this meeting and nothing happens. We don't see it. Yeah. Right. So I think, I I think the first thing we need to see is the action that comes with these like decision-making processes Mm -hmm. and not put to be stalled. And I think we need to trust that process, right, To, to Ramona's earlier point, like, It's not perfect and there are going to be some decisions where it may, you know, may not necessarily, you know, be the best decision, but I think you got to build confidence with the, with, 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 with your school building, right? And so everybody needs to buy in and we never trust that process. We'll say like, well, I don't. I are mean, I feel like you're asking a lot.
2: I, I, I honestly think that I might have feel feeling. Like- but isn't that how schools should operate though? Like I think that at the school level, nobody knows that school more than the students, the
0: teachers, yeah. the principal. Like did well, that? Even- well, so, so my other thing is just like, all right, that's the school improvement team, right? When we try to, we've got all of these things. We've We've decided that we're going to do these things then do it, and then at the end of the school, you, know, you report back to your school and saying like, "We accomplished these things. We messed up here. We didn't get to this. Like, we don't get that. We don't even get that far."
3: This is why I like peanut butter because yeah. you get that. You get the conversation. You get the dialogue. You get the right people in the room, and you get the execution, um, which is important because you lose credibility with young people or with anyone. Like when you create focus group, we can do this, we can do that big projects and you have conversations you have recommendations but then they just sit there and i think we should be actually embedded in school improvement teams as a
2: way for that school community to look at this budget and say these are the things that we want this money to be spent right like so there are things like special education that have like this formula or or that has to be spent right so there's money that has to be allocated
1: for like those you want want to talk about shadow money. Watch how quickly that stuff gets hit. You know what I mean? It gets spent on pet projects but
2: for special interests of the administrator. 100%. But that's where then you have the school improvement team, then, convene the community and have that community with this money that is left over. Now that you have allocated the money that you need for your special education, for all of these things, then you have this money and then. The community, that school community comes in and decides these are the things that we want and we're gonna vote and that's how we spend it.
1: Jessica, cool. Since you were a big part of PB in Central Falls, I didn't participated. I think I volunteered. I needed the money. You made me volunteer, but I that's how I it. got to meet uh that's how I got to meet some new friends over there. That's where I became friends with uh Janie and uh oh, yeah. yeah. Shout out to Janie. Uh, and uh, Victor Reynoso, I met Victor Reynoso yep, yep. that day, a local boxer who is amazing and great participant with our students. What would have to happen for that to be a part of every school sit? Is that something that is transferable, scalable?
3: It is scalable. And CF, the school district, did it with $100,000 and got parents and students involved. The Hezes in Central Providence did it with $1 million. The Heads in Pawtucket and Central Falls. Um, Did it with uh, a little less than $400,000. So it is scalable. But to Peter's point, you need buy-in from administrators, from adults who have, who are the gatekeeper to share that power.
1: I mean, but what you talked about and how this is different from SIT and how this doesn't play well together is you talked about how that was entirely based on the students. Um, And with SIT, students have a very small percentage of the votes.
2: But I think that's how you get. Like, I think it should have to be a conversation, right? How do we, uh, how do we give students mm-hmm. a part of, a, a, a
0: portion of this money? How do we give? You? But it's also like you know, it's like. But what's the structures, right? So like, right. it's that's great to, about Like the structures of like it's great to have kids, like students be on this like committee. But where is the the forum for them to say, hey, Absolutely. during the school year or right? These are times where students can gather. And these are times where students can, can you know, express their opinions and uh, whether it's reflective, evaluative or, you know, giving ideas and, and dreaming about things. Say so we, we can't bring students to the table without providing them with the support and structure in this class to make decisions, right? Well and so the, the last thing that I want to say, too, is like for us to not forget that if we're going to be asking young people, right, particularly uh you know from from a student perspective to sit in these kind of meetings and so forth that there needs to be value placed on how does this transfer to their education. Because you're taking learning, right? Like going back, going back to the whole thing like you're taking learning and you're taking learning time away from them if you're hosting it during the day, right? Or you're you're taking uh ability for economic uh gains if you're gonna be hosting these meetings after school, right? So like if you're going to be doing these things, you have to be able to say that whether it's, you know, there needs to be some kind of tied back into the education. you got folks that, you know, are paid to be sitting at their table, mm-hmm. right? Um, Typically, parents and students would be like the
2: ones who are not paid to. The volunteers. Yeah.
3: Well, we've paid our, our young people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And i mean, Steve, yes. Oh, yeah, no, they don't need to get paid for life. So it would be for school
2: improvement teams, then parents and students would be the two roles Will be up paid. or that? Whether
0: you know, and, and so like sitting on the like sit could be like a sieve credit, right? As if you eat like coffee, yeah. eat because they can maybe an ACN sponsor, event. yeah, you have teachers there. Why not, right? Because like because going back to your point about participant or budgeting, like you have a whole class ACN. Yeah, we have yeah. a title. so they're like they're going through a whole process. Yep. So, so they're
1: not set up to fail. Well, there's actually two points that you made. Let me handle the the first one because it was much quicker and easier when you talk about the process and having faith in the process, uh, my answer is a, a short, simple no. Uh, when, when we got a new principal at Alvarez High School because of the John Hopkins report, they rotated principals because they thought they could trick us into thinking that they were doing something about it. So that was their answer. And when they put this state representative uh, as the principal of Alvarez High School, he wasn't yet state representative to be fair, his first order of business was to dismantle something that the school was very proud of. The school had just put up an LGBTQ flag in front of the school. The, the school was very, very proud. It was uh, student sponsored. The students had uh, overwhelmingly uh, wanted that. And his first order of business is this thing has to go. And there's excuses about how there's complaints and all kinds of shit. But, so no, I do not trust. I do not trust somebody to put their own agenda behind for the sake of student voice. So to your other point, which I think is really interesting, because if we're talking about goals and we're saying, okay, what if we want PB to be part of the SIT teams? I can see them saying yes to that, but not including a Pam Jennings, not including a Pam Jennings who's working with the students. Like you were just saying, right? There was a a reason that that worked over there. So you need, apples to apples you need the same reason why that's going to work on every other sit team so yes i can see that as a goal but only if they're going to not half-ass it and go all the way it doesn't have to be paid
2: best but- right invest and try and scale the work right get the the funding get the money to the Pam jennings of the world so she can scale the work and then support schools right like it, it will take time because when you're scanning this type of work but it can be done it can it be done just that this five a bunch of work that just happened in the rhode island Department of health made it happen right so the schools leadership matters though right like when you don't have good leadership at the school level it like everything else is gonna be a, but then you know we have to come to a point where we say fire people who are not doing What's best for them?
1: Okay. So now now fire them all after after we stopped recording. I heard two other things in the next group that were uh-huh. wow to me, and I'm sure you guys heard some stuff too. But the first of which was I forget her name, and I probably shouldn't say it. At yeah, time. don't say it. And she mentioned that she used to work for HR in in Providence schools, and she mentioned uh, a problem that she was having racism that was towards her, and it made her really like dejected. And so people were like, well, what did you do about it? And she said, I did what Providence schools taught me to do about it. I just called out for the rest of the year, which is like, it's just reaffirming to what we already know that, that it's far too powerful a position to have your children looking up to this one mentor who's going to bail on them when they get coffee spilled on them. They get coffee spilled on them at the school And they're like, ow, I'm burned. I have to go out on leave. And then, no, I have trauma thinking that a student's gonna burn me again, so I'm never coming back. And they can't fire this person. So instead, they get long-term substitutes that go in and out, and there's no stability in the classroom. These are things that we heard and have always seen, but now it was affirmed in this group. So that was one thing that wowed me. The other thing that wowed me was one of our organizers said, I don't know why we're beating around the bush. These union contracts have to go. You went there. <laughs> I went there. I have now. Now, plea, plea is to some degree a union kind of organization. You're unionizing parents.
2: Basically, that's what we want to do. I think parents should be unionized. Students should be unionized.
1: Providence Student Union is a union. I see the value in union, especially when. People are marginalized. The way to get out of the margins is to band together. Absolutely. But what about when you band together and you become the whole goddamn page? Now, all you're doing is marginalizing other people, teachers in this group. So anyway, I'm sorry. I, I just want to point out that this is something that somebody said in that group. Why not address the elephant in the room, these teachers contracts? And I think the two points are kind of connected. Uh, I've seen teachers go out on leave for 80 days because they didn't like the student's response to the teacher calling them the N-word. Now, let me say that again. Teacher calls student N-word. I saw the student's parent come in. The student parent are angry at the teacher. Now, the teacher is traumatized and goes out on leave, 80 days, not coming back, paid vacation. Yeah. Paid vacation for calling somebody the N-word. Yeah. Like that's a lot of power. What can happen? It feels like a stalemate. I know the governor is supportive of the. The people are afraid of the teachers' union.
2: I like so I want to be clear because I have also like kind of uh, I've been in this position where we as an organization we have asked uh, for you know a student-centered t- uh, teacher contract and we've been called all kinds of things. I've been personally affected by it, but I would sick <laughs> seek- you. She- Money. oh yes they did yeah that's the other thing right so like yeah you cannot hold so two two quick things number one uh teachers and mm-hmm. we need teacher unions to protect teachers mm-hmm. uh, because teachers deserve to be well compensated and they deserve protections now we have far too many racist teachers in our schools. And I need to really, like, I need to understand what is the system that enables those racist teachers to call students the N-word and then go on a vacation, pay vacation or whatever the case may be, and then sometimes come back to their positions. Is it the teacher contract? Is it, the, is it the, the lawyers of the teacher unions? Like, And to me, the second thing is that I, you could call out anybody, but if you dare to question that power of the teacher unions, then all of a sudden you become the dead. But I'm not talking about like the far, you know, right, activists, that are oh, people who want to destroy, t- that's not who I am. That's but, bad life, these are all fights. Just the, you, but, the people that you work with. So, but I also, I also believe that everyone is accountable. So if I am saying that right is accountable, PPSD is accountable, the mayor is accountable, the teacher union is accountable. We cannot say that in this ecosystem, Everybody's accountable but the teacher union. Oh, has a lot of power. And- Are
1: you anti-teacher union? No, I'm not. So Ramona says, sure. not but I do believe that they need to be held accountable. With respect to my teacher friends, uh, to hell with the teacher union. I am anti-teacher union, but I am not, so I want to be clear. I'm not speaking for the other people in the room. I'm speaking for me and I'm speaking for me from the from as an advocate for the students who I watch them hurt. You guys might've seen this. Can you confirm that this is true? The commissioner of education, whether you love her or hate her, it doesn't even matter. She came in and she talked about her interaction with Steambox and she talked about how students reported a teacher calling them the N-word. And she later on was almost in tears talking about how she was powerless and couldn't do anything yeah. This is the commissioner of education addressing a large group of people saying, yeah, some of our teachers call kids the N-word and there's literally nothing I can do about
2: it. Let me tell you a quick story. The John Hopkins report, when we went to our, to our middle school, we interviewed... We had two groups of of adults, the people who were in the review team. We interviewed two groups of students in separate roles. In my room where I was, these students, middle school students were describing this teacher who was threatening them with calling immigration and calling them like throughout. Right? So at the end of the day, we debriefed as a team and we all, like both teams come thinking that we're going to share this horrible story and the other team is going to be surprised and then we find out that one group of students were talking about this same teacher called to find out that this is a notorious teacher who's being moved school from school from school because you can't fire and I still I still for the life of me cannot understand how you can how could you could not fire that teacher so, what again, what is the system that enables that individual to be employed in our schools? What is the system? Like, what is the, what enables that? I don't understand. Because that person should not be working.
1: And and they know it. And the, the teachers know it. The principals know it. I work. Everybody knows it. I worked a lot with Zawadi Watkins, the principal at Alvarez. She, she knew about that teacher. Uh, and there's very little uh, that they can do about this.
0: And it's sad. It's sad. You almost have to pretend. I, you know, what's the craziest thing about Outrest is that students saved it from closing. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> A decade ago. me. <laughs> you know, that school was going to be closed. Uh, it was on the chopping block. And the other people, right, were, who went to the school was just like, why are you trying to close my school? Right. And that school remained open. Young Voices and
1: Steambox were on the ground floor for that. And I don't think Young Voices gets enough credit, and I make sure Steambox gets credit for this, but we actually were very active in that. And your organization was very active in that as well. And that's a part of that school's history. And that's a school now that I look at sideways because of what leadership has become after we had such a wellness initiative happening in there. So uh, I just want to, I want to wrap up by quickly talking about, uh, I, I had a young person in the room and he talked about the school debt. And we know that early school days work for young people. And this was repeated by, by others in that group. And, We know that later school days work for older students, so maybe we should consider some of that and maybe that'll at least encourage students to participate more because you get to the point where it's so late, you're so late, that why bother, right? If you wanna fix attendance, maybe make it reasonable for uh, somebody their age, target their demographics. So Jessica, is there any goal that you would have? What What would your goal be? Whether it's something that you heard, something new, What do you think is something that we should submit and say, hey, Angelica, we want this?
3: Uh, I like the idea of um, making school more flexible for students instead of just doing things the way we've done it for centuries.
1: More flexible for students, including time, including the bathrooms, uh, but especially, and thank you, and I'm so happy that we finally got to talk about your uh, peanut butter work, um, your your participatory budgets.
0: Young people, there's a coalition of us that are working on this. Uh, I think our ethnic studies campaign, I think that's really important. History matters. I would start, um, you know, the pedagogy behind it um, and so forth. And I think that, you know, I think that would be critical for, you know, particularly for urban schools that are predominantly by students of color, families of color. Um, I think ethnic studies is really important. I think um,
1: at the start of the century, or a year or two before, I don't remember the exact year, but it was around the turn of the century. Uh, there was an awful incident in Columbine. And because of the massacre that happened, which has been replicated so many times since, people have taken that as an opportunity to militarize the schools by having school resource officers in the schools, and resource, I don't know if i that. Um, and our students have been very clear in Providence, not in Center Falls. Believe me, I've asked them. Yeah. Uh, But in Providence, our students have been very, very clear. They do not want the officers in the schools. We do have data that supports that they are there, used to enforce school rules when it should be to stop shootings. But we also know that they're not stopping shootings. Shootings are happening, whether or not the uh, resource officers are there. All they do is make sure that students end up in jail for wearing a hoodie or having their headphones on, and that's obviously some bullshit. The school resource officers need to go. That's something that I would submit. Ramona, what's what's a parent perspective? What's one goal?
2: I think that for parents, uh, it is super important to have uh, decision-making power. And and we are examining what that looks like at the school and district level. So it's just like, we just want to be equal partners, right? When you think about, like, decisions being made and how, uh, you know, resources are allocated, um, who's in our classrooms, in our buildings, like, who who's teaching our kids? Like, it's just decision-making. So, some of it is very basic. It's just knowing things, and schools are just terrible at communicating with families and engaging. So it's like, can we change our governance structure so that parents really have a equal decision making
1: you can't wow. you can't have both things you can't complain that you don't get enough parent engagement and then the parents are begging to be part of your school structure and are denied you can't have both things because that makes you a hypocrite so if those are words that you're saying if you are from providence schools or any other wood island school and you are the person saying parents don't get involved well, please call Ramona. Ramona's at plea, and she will make sure that parents don't uh, do get involved. And if you don't, then I'm sorry. You're just a hypocrite, and you're just bitching at this point. Uh, thank you for everybody for checking out Truth Data Equity. Uh, there's been a lot of really great conversations, and I'm hoping that we get some goals out of this and that are s- successful this year, so that we can make that really awful day in July of a Saturday where we made people come and do more. I'm hoping that we can <laughs> it was make a that. To the world, uh, Ramona, wake up for this because I'm going to need your energy in a second. I, I want you to check out uh, the work that Jessica Vega, former city, city council president in Central Falls, uh, who worked on the participatory budgeting, is doing with Kids Count and Paige over at Kids Count. It's awesome. She yeah. is awesome. I think you guys need to check out that work. Uh, we shouted out other youth orgs and when we're ready to move on some of those goals, we're going to talk to uh, Elliot with Uh, Youth in Action. We're going to talk to Shonda from Arise and we're going to talk to Peter Chum from Young Voices. Please check out Young Voices and do check out Ramona with PLEA which is parents leading for educational equity. Leading for educational equity. Check those people out. Ramona, uh, Jessica, Peter, this has been Steambox. Please say peace out to the world. He's down.